It takes more than changing your server's time zones to Samoa to make the problem tomorrow's problem. <laughs> to be a great engineer, this is episode 386 of the Soft Skills Engineering Podcast. I'm your host, Jameson Dance. I'm your host, Dave Smith. Soft Skills Engineering is our weekly advice show about all of the non-technical things that go into the technical field of software development, like time travel. Yep. <laughs> There's more than one way to solve a time zone bug. Yeah. I mean, I guess time travel is pretty technical. That's true. First, you must hack the, uh, what is that? The That's... NTP servers. Ah, I thought you were going to say hack the space-time continuum, which is ambitious. Nah. Well, I guess you can once you figure out time travel, because then you have infinite time. That's right. Then you of. can take all the time you need to hack the NTP servers. <laughs> yeah. Okay, swap the order. Yeah. <laughs> uh. Uh, I'm awkwardly waiting for you to thank our sponsor. Okay. <laughs> this episode <laughs> is sponsored by Notion, which is the best note-taking app with actually useful AI. Indeed. You'll hear more about them later. Now I want to thank our patrons. Thank you to the people that contribute so much love in the form of currency that we shout them out every single week. Thank you to Chase W. Norton. Typehero.dev. Never is not just a creator on Mars. I like chicken. I like liver. Meow mix. Meow mix. Please deliver. Trash Panda, the computer science book.com, Valentina Datafold, Santa Hope, Arkensi Dodds, Jenny Kim, Owen Shardle, Craig Motlin, the Stochastic Parrot, Patreon.com, we're hiring, Ira Chan, Monkey Face Emoji, Jonathan King, WebTow, Awesome N10, Testing, Will Angel, Ragnar, Travis, Braden Keynes, John Grant, The Unsettling Nature of Not Knowing, and Nick Cantar. <laughs> so good. <laughs> if you want to join this group, make us laugh, make us cry, make us say words then you can go to softskills.audio and click support us on Patreon. And any amount will get you an invite to our Slack team. And any amount above whatever the amount says on Patreon will get you a a shout out. Yep. All right. Okay, Dave, you want to read our first question? Yes, here we go. This comes from an anonymous listener who says, I feel like I'm stuck. I'm in a senior lead position, technically called an SRE, which stands for Site Reliability Engineer, which I assume is what's meant here. Continuing, but I find myself doing all kinds of cleanup work that should instead be spread across teams. My suggestions for automating toil and cleaning up tech debt fall on deaf ears until some principal engineer decides a couple months down the line that some problem is worth solving. And then it's urgent! Exclamation mark, exclamation mark, the number one. (laughs) That's one of my favorite memes of all time. (laughs) I've experienced this at a few companies now and see some patterns, but I'm not sure what what the way out is yet. It seems I need to find the most respected person and fight them, just kidding, gain their trust and play (laughs) politics to get basic problems solved and work properly distributed. I am exhausted. If you want me to lead, then give me the power I need to lead. If you want me to be a cog, then make it a decent work environment and pay enough. I feel like I'm stuck in some sort of purgatory. I'm considering going for a management job, but I think I would hate it. How can I find a nine to five that isn't soul sucking and run by a few people who have the ear of the sea level? Hmm... Fighting them is already mentioned. Yep. Not an option. <laughs> Too bad. I So I have not worked as an SRE, but my I, I could see how that could devolve into a lot of toil because it feels kind of ops-ish. Yeah. I don't know. We're supposed to pretend that ops doesn't exist as like a career anymore. Right, it right. It does. Yeah. They just call it SRE sometimes. <laughs> the Google SRE book is very clear that that's not what it is. But it's not most ops. places are not Google. Yeah. But then it's full of ops-related I mean, information in it. Yeah, it's yeah. The book does have a lot of ops-related stuff. It's sort of like 
you help the teams to do their own op stuff. Right, right. Which is the ideal. I mean, that's awesome. Yeah. But what it might be instead is like a, a recruiting tool mm-hmm. <laughs> for to hire operations folks. Hmm. Cleanup work that should instead. I, I feel like ops type roles have this problem, which is that you only get noticed when things when bad things happen. You never get any credit for disasters prevented or for a smooth continuing operation. Yeah. So it's sort of like hard to justify to folks who aren't in the technical details why you need to do something because everything's fine right now. Like why why do we have to do this big new project when yeah. stuff seems to be working? And it's because they don't have any idea what what is involved in keeping things working. Right. I've experienced this at a few companies and seen some patterns. I can see one thing that is constant across these patterns. Oh, no. Don't say it. <laughs> <laughs> it's the question asker. Oh. You, might be, you, might, you might enjoy heroics. <laughs> you see a problem. It's kind of painful to solve. You jump in and say, I will take care of this thing. It's finicky. It's difficult. It's tricky. It's late at night or whatever. I don't know. There's, there's just some people that seem to be drawn to where the fire is. Mm-hmm. And... Firefighting is, I think, it it appears to be very valuable because you can't see the opportunity cost of making the fires go away. But you do see like, oh, this this huge alarm was going off and there's a disaster and then the disaster stops. So yeah, the question asker is a superhero that saved the day. Thank you. But it's a different job than like building a fireproof building, I guess seems like that's the job you want. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I've seen this dynamic go down so often where someone who is perceived as having not a lot of authority pushes for something for a long time, and then suddenly the right person shows up. And poof, suddenly that thing that couldn't get done for two years is now a top top priority, got to be done. And I've often asked myself, what's the difference between those two people? Like, why could the one, why did the organization ignore the one and then just absolutely fall all over themselves to to do to do it when the other person said it same idea right and i think there's something to be said for this top this concept of clout mm-hmm. and clout you know it, it's kind of an amorphous thing but it it basically is accumulated through actions that yield good outcomes that build a reputation where well Suddenly, I'm actually, let me just be clear. I'm defining the idealized version of cloud. <laughs> um, <laughs> ideally, it is the the result of years of, of uh, reputational accumulation of good outcomes. But then in practicality, oftentimes it's because, oh, well, this person's name is on the org chart very high and controls all of our bonus checks, you know, or something like that. And that's another form of yeah. cloud. And I think that's probably what's happening here a lot of the time. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. I mean, you you do either by the actions you have taken to get into these roles of a principal engineer or the virtue of your position, you do have some clout. And and that's that's what the job's for, right? Mm-hmm. Sort of like have been asked to to exercise good judgment in identifying opportunities for the company. So you might argue that it's working to some degree that the principal engineers get to say, "We're going to do a thing." Mm-hmm. And I think you've identified a solution in there, which is, I think you're right. Find the most respected person and gain their trust 
and play politics to get basic problems solved and work properly distributed. I think playing politics is a a pessimistic way to look at it, but I think there's also an optimistic way to look at it, which is it's it's to work together with a group of people, you have to figure out how to prioritize stuff and and politics gets used to describe like a, a this vague bad outcome of of like you have to suck up and do things that aren't related to the work to do it but if you I think a lot of times what people call politics is is actually disagreement yeah like and and so it's it's really about persuasion not politics yeah, if so you I- can prevent or present a convincing case for why these problems need solved then it's it's much easier and it's much easier if they are not just you problems like if you go to the principal engineer and say my job is difficult because i have to run around to all these different teams and and do all this toil they will probably sympathize with you but it is unlikely to motivate like a major project to change it but if you say hey these four teams are building the same thing and it's a huge waste of time and I have to like run around supporting it or I don't know. If you turn, if you can point to how your problems are actually organization problems worth solving, then that feels much more convincing. Yeah, I think you're right. Basically, I mean, in a nutshell, you're saying you got to speak the language of the decision makers. And, you know, that sometimes that's money, sometimes it's efficiency problems, sometimes it's, you know, business risk. But ultimately, in order to con- to persuade someone, like you were saying, you need to put things in terms that that resonate with them. You know, it'd be it'd be like someone coming up to you and be like, "Well, there's this thing we should do. It'll be really good." And you're like, "Okay, what is it?" Well, it's kind of technical, but it'll be good. And you're like, "Well, I'm not convinced." You know, but if you come to somebody yeah. and say, "We are currently," and then wasting- they go complain about how political the org is. Yeah, exactly. It's so <laughs> political. <laughs> Uh, not saying political orgs yeah. don't exist because certainly they do, but but if you come up they to they do they do <laughs> if you come up to a business leader and say we're currently wasting a million dollars a month, and if you give me two weeks of engineering effort, I can make that million dollars a month go down to fifty thousand dollars a month, you know something like that. It's like oh that's really concrete, and it speaks the language of the business. And yeah. what I've often found is that people who, especially engineers who move up the org chart, like this, you know, these principal engineering people that are mentioned in this question, they often are very good at speaking that language. They do also need input. I mean, typically they're not, I, I guess it depends across organizations, but sometimes they are not in the code day to day enough to feel the specific pain that you're feeling. And if it's a big enough org, then then almost certainly they're not in your part of the code day to day enough. So you do have information that they don't have about how uh, about problems they might not see directly. You also I think it'd be useful to find out what's important to them. Do they have some yeah. huge priority to move everything from one cloud vendor to the other for like cost reasons or like what what's they I mean they have stuff what's on their plate. Yeah. Cuz then you're you're kind of trying to identify what your thing is sort of indirectly competing with. Yes. And if it's not more important, it might not get done. If you can somehow make it related to that thing, then it's probably more likely to get done. What I have found is that every organization has their one, two, or three key metrics that really matter to that organization. And if you can couch this in those terms, like, you know, when I I worked on a, a particularly large system of digital assistance and 
the key metric was dialogues. Like how many dialogues do we get every day from people? And, and anything you wanted to launch had to either improve that number or at least not make it worse. And so yeah. that was the, that was the currency. You know, we couldn't save money because we were a money losing organization. <laughs> I mean, we could save a little <laughs> money, but it didn't matter. Like the money was seemed to be infinite. So that wasn't ever it. It was dialogues, you know, and like my current organization, it's like volume, like usage. We want to see our customers use our product more. That's the currency, right? So you've got to figure out what yeah. that currency is for you and then couch everything your team does to your higher ups in that currency and you will build clout for yourself. Although I feel I, like I'm stuck in some sort of purgatory. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, like, we're, don't you feel like we're kind of dodging the actual question here? <laughs> Which is yeah. basically, how do I quit this job and find one that doesn't do this? Yeah. One option is a very small company because then you have more control over what you do, sort yeah. of. And there's also often clearer <laughs> business needs. It's like, we have to launch this feature to survive and then... The, the trade-offs of, of tackling other things are, become a bit starker. Yeah. In other words, find a company where everyone is too busy to withhold power from you. You know, like <laughs> everyone's running yeah. around with their, like they're like a chicken. I mean, that's that's one of the things about small companies is like yeah. autonomy and the ability to just go do a thing is, is super valuable and also much easier to exercise. If like you, you win by, by doing stuff and that's, harder at larger companies because there are more you have to build more momentum to do things you can't just go do the thing exactly you have to build consensus and i'm considering going for a management job i think i would hate it yep i think you would <laughs> you might from this question yep. yeah i think you might hate it because sorry this sounds a lot like a lot of management <laughs> yes it is some of it's just inherent in the nature of convincing groups of people to do things yeah. All right. Have we answered the question? I think we have. Let's move on to something we don't hate, and that is Notion, which is today's episode sponsor. Notion is a really cool note-taking app, but really it has morphed into so much more than a note-taking app. Like it's a note-sharing app, it's a collaboration app, and now they've baked AI into the product. Yeah, it's great. It's really powerful to have. Uh, so I've, I use it at work and I've used it at a bunch of different jobs. And the integration of AI in your company's notes and knowledge base is pretty neat. I think there's a lot of bogus uses of AI out there, yeah. but this feels pretty squarely in the good fit for the current state of AI. Exactly. You can have it summarize things or generate agendas or it like it it saves time, makes life better. It is way better. Like you can actually ask questions of the Notion AI and it will use your notes as a data source for answering your questions. And and it's it's like okay, answering questions great, but also the responses are also integrated with the product as a first-class citizen. So you can say things like make a list with, and then give it like a verbal description, you know, like a free form description, and it will actually produce a list for you. So it's like, it's the, honestly, for me, it's the first AI that I've seen built into a product that actually does things for you and doesn't just answer your questions. Doesn't just hand you the text back. Yeah, exactly. It's not just text yeah. in, text out. It's like text in and, oh, look, it just organized my notes for me. It's really cool. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, Notion is great. Their AI stuff is great. And you should go to notion.com slash soft skills to check it out. All right. Shall that we... Notion.com slash soft skills. Oh, all right. Uh, oh, yes. Yes. <laughs> Let us get we're, to the question. We are... You can tell we're not artificial intelligence because we are kind of dumb. Stepping on each other's toes. <laughs> <laughs> all right. All right. Jameson, you want to read this next one? 
I do. This is from a listener named Josh. Actually, technically, they don't say they're a listener. From somebody named Josh, who yes. maybe has never listened to the they show. They just before. found this, the uh, form. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Decided to fill it out. <laughs> just stumbled across it. Surely good things will happen if I type stuff in here. Here is Josh's question. As two people who lead engineering teams have conducted tons of interviews for developers and hired many, what are your opinions on the prospects of career-changing self-taught developers landing a decent job in 2023 and onward? I have a career in product marketing, working very closely with product engineering and sales teams. I believe I bring a lot of the soft skills to the table and I'm teaching myself the hard skills. My concerns are that it will be incredibly difficult to actually find a job. And if I do, it'll be an entry-level role that effectively resets my existing nine-year career back to the starting blocks. In your experiences, would you hire folks looking to make a career move in anything other than junior positions, or would you be wary of them in favor of other candidates? This is a great question. I'm sure a lot of people are wondering about this right now. Yeah, this is a good question. I think it has a pretty, I think it has a straightforward answer. I would not hire someone who had not worked as a professional software developer in anything other than a junior position. Uh-huh. And having a lot of experience working around software developers, I I think would not change that for me. I would expect their trajectory once they join to maybe be a little bit steeper if they can pick up the tech stuff quickly because sometimes uh, engineer careers are, are more limited by the like collaboration and communication stuff. But I mean, I, I'm I'm just, I just can't hire someone who doesn't have the technical ability of a senior engineer as a senior engineer, just, just because they collaborate well. Yeah. You're going to have to start over, but it'll be great. It'll be great. Eventually. <laughs> it's honestly, it is going to <laughs> suck to make the switch. Because you're basically in the same boat as so many people who have talked to me about starting out as a software engineer. And it really makes no difference whether you have 10 years of product management experience or zero years of anything experience. It makes a tiny difference. Like you mentioned the soft skills and hard skills. Yes, a little bit of a different on, difference on the soft skills. But at the end of the day, you really are paid as a software engineer to be able to produce working product in the form of code. And... I have seen so many people just absolutely struggle through the grind of finding that first software development job. Yeah. I do think it's probably, well, hmm. do I? Yeah, I think it's probably easier. I feel like I would be, if, if, if I'm hiring brand new developers, there's a stamp of like, this is a human that can work a job <laughs> approval <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> that you get from working in tech. Not not the not highest as a bar. Software engineer. <laughs> yeah, not the highest bar, but like it's it's something. It puts you in the top ninety percent of people. Yeah. <laughs> Congratulations. Yeah, it will be hard to find a job, and I think it, it is effectively impossible if you. Oh, I don't know. There's always there's always some counterexample, but I, I would not count on getting anything besides an entry level role. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that that just is the path. You, It would be very strange for you to show up with, let's just say, zero software development experience and then be expected to answer really hard questions from other engineers about how to uh, how to design your software. You know, it's like, oh, you're a senior engineer? Great. I have some big questions about how we should architect this database. It's like, well, I've never architected yeah. a database before. Well, that's yeah. why we're going to bring you as an as, bring you in as an entry-level engineer. Yeah. Go design our deployment strategy. I've never deployed anything. <laughs> you know? It's like, yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, sadly, it means it does mean a reboot. But uh, this is why I said it's going to be great eventually, and that that is that it's going to take it'll honestly it'll probably take you a year to get that first job, where you're maybe still working at your old job, maybe you're doing some side hustles or and a lot of self teaching. But this is what I see, like, uh, and it's only worse today. Yeah. This is like I saw it took a year, a couple years ago when we were in the absolute height of the hiring frenzy, and it was still taking yeah. boot camp graduates like a year plus to find their first job. Yeah. So that's going to take a year. Then you'll have to spend about a year or two in kind of that junior status. And that's actually going to be the fun time, though. That'll be great. You'll be learning so much every day. You'll be, I don't know. I don't know if you remember this, Jameson. I know it's been so long because you're very, very old now. <laughs> so old, so wise. <laughs> but yes. But like, I remember those, that first year out of college, it was like every day was just a brain. It was so fun. Oh, man. Yeah. It was awesome. It was like fireworks in my mind. Oh, I had no idea yeah. that code could do that. I do that. remember that. It was awesome. So those first couple of years are going to be fantastic after the first terrible year. And and then, you know, then <laughs> what's going to happen is if you if you really work hard as a software engineer, your so-called hard skills will develop pretty well and your soft skills will help you to do things that a lot of our other engineers probably aren't doing or focusing on, which is becoming kind of influential like you're really you're always the one that the product team goes to when they have questions about you know technical questions about how things work and this will this will absolutely help you leapfrog the long many year process of becoming a senior engineer i think i think so too yeah i think you have an advantage in trajectory but not in starting position exactly exactly you'll have what's the way to say that like you have to start at the starting line with everyone else but you're going to have like a little rocket ship strapped to your back when you run <laughs> run the race. Yeah. I mean, now that I'm thinking back to it, when I first started, I, I did not have very many life responsibilities either. And it's True. possible that you might have a family, you might have stuff that keeps you from from getting as sucked in to, to this new career as you might have been if you were younger. So you'll just have to count on your wisdom and experience at learning things to make up for that. Because you don't have that like, raw Mountain Dew fueled stay up all night Dakota thing enthusiasm. Or maybe you do. I don't know. Yeah, maybe, but probably not. I don't. I, <laughs> yeah, I sure yeah, as heck right. don't. I mean, you're nine it years into a career. so now. dead. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm it is all... dead and gone <laughs> yeah. and stay up all night enthusiasm is is like when my child is puking all night. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> not exactly, then, not exactly the same as doing what I did in my early 20s when I literally stayed up all night to port our C++ code base from a 32-bit architecture to a 64-bit architecture. And when the sun rose, it compiled successfully on a 64-bit CPU. It was awesome. Yeah. It was this such is a more good like feeling. When the sun rose, then my son rose from the toilet. <laughs> You're lucky he made it all the way to the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. I haven't done an all-nighter writing code in pushing 20 years, but I did do it a couple times. I think I've done it more recently than that, but I don't see it in my future. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's for sure. <laughs> there, there is something really magical about working at night when the rest of the world is asleep and there are no distractions. There's no emails yeah. coming in, no Slack messages. You're texting. That little texting chime isn't, <laughs> isn't ringing off the hook. Oh man. Yeah. But boy, do you pay for that <laughs> the next yeah. day or several. Uh, 
I mean, that gets into the trope about engineers starting late, right? They start their day later, they work later to kind of shift some hours. I know not everybody does that, yeah. but you you kind of have fewer in the middle of the day hours where where other people are around. We are far off the question, though. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like this has a pretty straightforward answer. You're, you're going to be a junior developer because that's the yep. skill set. That, that is have. the question, and that is, I believe, but the I answer. But I think you can be a really excellent junior developer oh, yeah. given your background. Yeah, absolutely. Product marketing, you're going to think of things that no one else thought of. Like, hey, this feature doesn't really have any feature discovery uh, on it. We should probably build that. Like, oh, hey, what's the messaging going to be around this when I get it, you know, when we hand it over to the marketing team? Like, these are fantastic, phenomenally good questions that you're going to be able to ask, yeah. and they absolutely will propel you. But it is going to suck. Getting that first job is going to be absolutely terrible. Yeah. But yeah. if you, I think if you go in with that expectation, it helps. And then you, maybe you are pleasantly surprised. Yeah, they said it would suck, but actually it was easy. It only took 11 months of grinding. <laughs> it's not because they're wrong and dumb. It's because <laughs> they were trying to set me, set me up well. Exactly. They're trying to calibrate my expectations. They're not yeah, way to go. bad at their <laughs> advice giving. <laughs> they're wise. <laughs> sometimes they're so next level. Sometimes they give bad advice just to make sure my mental state is in a good place. <laughs> yeah, on we're going to do something dumb on purpose. Yeah, that see, makes it smart. In the past, we've said that the reason our advice is dumb is because this is actually a comedy show. But now we can yeah. say it's because you just haven't fully understood our motivation and the actual outcomes we're going for. Yep. Neither do I. I'll be honest. <laughs> All right. Dave, what can people do if they want their own questions answered? Go to the website on the worldwide interweb at softskills.audio and click on the ask a question button. Thank you so much to everyone who does that. We love your questions. They just they just roll in. It's like, you know, every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. Well, every time someone submits that form, Jameson's heart beats one extra time. There are some morbid implications to that. <laughs> is this extending my life or is this like causing arrhythmia? <laughs> I guess we'll find out eventually. Do I get extra beats added on to the lifetime <laughs> yes, of my heart? Exactly. Is it using them up faster? <laughs> <laughs> It's using up your fixed number of beats. Yeah. Your subscription only includes a certain number of beats, and if you use them early. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We better get out of here. Thank you for listening. We'll catch you next week.